Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God this morning, I pray you would open up our hearts to receive what you have for us, even if it's just that one thing. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I'm going to talk about a very popular story that's in the Bible, uh, one that even many people who have no experience with the Bible has undoubtedly heard called the parable of the sower. It's, uh, the parable of the sower is about a farmer planting crops and sowing seeds into the soil. Some, sometimes it's actually called the parable of the soils because it's about the four different soils as well. And the reason why it's popular is it's found in all three Gospels. And all three Gospel writers include this story in their retelling of Jesus' life in Mark 4, Luke chapter 8, and Matthew chapter 13. But what is crucial to understanding this parable is the context with which it is shared. Right before Jesus tells this story, the Jewish leaders accuse Jesus of working miracles and representing the devil. If you read Mark chapter 12, you'll find out that Jesus has been teaching and teaching and teaching, and the Jewish leaders up to this point They've been sort of awkwardly silent. They're kind of observing. They're kind of talking amongst themselves. And they look at everything Jesus is doing. And the best that they can come up with is this. That man is possessed by the devil. We don't care that you've been healed. We don't care that you've been encouraged. We don't care that your relationship with God is better than before. That man is working for the devil. Don't listen to him and don't follow him. Now what's happening is the people are in a bit of a quandary because they're used to trusting those Jewish leaders, the same Jewish leaders that are going to hand Jesus over to be executed, to be crucified. And they're kind of going, you know, Jesus, we're, that kind of demands an answer. They're saying you're possessed by the devil. What is your response to that? And the parable of the sower is that response to that because you see, it's kind of a logical question. The people are saying, well, Jesus, if you say who you say you are and your word is as powerful as you say it is, then why isn't everybody coming to God right now? What's happening, Jesus? They don't believe you. Some of us do. We don't see how the same word could have such differing results. And it's a question that's ringed across the centuries with the Christian church. Why does a wife believe or a husband to believe and the other spouse rejects? Why does one brother become a missionary and the other an alcoholic? How can the same word of God produce such differing results? Now, if you see over here on the side, our sermon series this, this month is with Jesus in the boat. And you may say, well, how about we're talking about farming. If it's with Jesus in the boat, we should be talking about fishing. Well, as you'll see the context here in a moment, Jesus actually teaches this parable from the boat. And so let's pick it up here in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. If you have a Bible, if you don't, it's, gonna, it's already there right behind me. Let's read. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat. And he sat in it out on the lake And while all the people were on the shore along the water's edge, Jesus kind of makes his own makeshift amphitheater here. He taught them many things by parables. This is one of the busiest days of Jesus' life. 
It starts off by the Jewish leaders uh, accusing him of being demon-possessed. He goes on to teach seven parables. He crisscrosses the lake twice, and by the time sunset comes, he's driving a demon out of a demon-possessed man. This is indeed a busy day for Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about what happens in the evening as he crosses the lake again and the storm whips up. But today, we're talking about what happened probably close to midday says listen a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly but the soil was shallow the sun came up the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear any grain. And still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times over. Now Jesus is speaking in parables (laughs) because he's recognizing that the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate this truth for some, but also keep it hidden from others until the time is right. And so right now he's telling a story that has a lot of metaphor and a lot of allegory in it. And the allegory has three main symbols. It has the seed, the farmer, and the soil, right? That's that's agriculture 101, right? You need a farmer, you need a seed, and you need soil. You got those three things, you can get a crop. Well, he explains later on down in the chapter what those three things mean in plain language. And he says this, the seed is the word of God to receive Jesus, to receive the Holy Spirit, and to believe in the Bible, all right? To receive Christ, to receive the Spirit of God in us, and then as a result of that, we believe in the Bible. The Bible, we accept the Bible as truth. The farmer is God speaking to us. Sometimes God will speak to us through people, Sometimes God will speak directly into our own thoughts. And sometimes God will speak through the Bible itself. You open up the Bible and you begin reading it. And maybe you're not sure what it's all about. But all of a sudden you read something and it's as if a light bulb comes on. I know many people who have come to faith because they started reading the Bible. Particularly the Gospel of John. Others, they begin to have dreams or thoughts. They're like, you know, I think God's trying to talk. I think God's trying to get a hold of me. Turn my life around. And then, of course, for many of you, for many of us, we come to faith by somebody actually talking to us, like I'm doing this morning. And then we come to the soils. The soils represent the condition of our heart. Uh, Some hearts are rocky. Some hearts are thorny. Some hearts get choked easily by the worries of life. And some are good soil, ready to receive and, and bear fruit for God's word. But the soils are the condition of our heart to receive what God may be saying to us. I got really four quick things I want to say about the passage and then a few things as to how we can react to this passage. If you look down further, and we'll have this up here too, in Mark 4.15, Jesus explains this parable in plain language. He says, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, the devil comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The first thing is, is we let the devil take it. 
uh, we, we, we let the devil take it. One time uh, in the previous church I was pastoring in, after the service, there were always two prayer pastors assigned to the prayer room who would pray with people who either had just received Christ or, had, or, or just wanted some prayer. And, and there was this man who came in, and he had just received Christ. And we saw him raise his hand in the service, so we had him come in, and we are going to talk to him and pray with him and see if he had any questions. And uh, finally, the, the, the guy next to me, Craig, he, he knew him a little better, and he said, he said, well, I said, uh, what was it after all this time? Because he'd been going to the church for a while, and, and, and he was polite and respectful, one of those guys. He, he would go to church, take his family to church, but he would be, always be very honest and say, you know what, this, this, this isn't for me. I don't really believe in this stuff. I think it's fairy tale. But uh, they like it, and I'm, you know, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, that, that is the party pooper. But then, one service, I mean, it was real. You know, obviously, he, he raised his hand, and he, you know, he's like, hey, man, I don't, I don't want to die without this. And so we're talking to him, and he told us an interesting story. He said, he said almost any time people start talking about God, it's as if in my head there's this screaming voice going, no! See, it's the enemy taking the seed off the path. And he said, now I always just kind of walk away with the no. He said, but today in church, as I was hearing the pastor preach, I heard the word no. And I said, shut the hell up. <laughs> when he said that, Craig and I kind of looked at each other and went, oops. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that in church, was I? And we just kind of looked at each other. <laughs> it was Craig who said, he said, you know, I think that most might be the most appropriate way to say it at this moment, you know. <laughs> and he said, I finally told that voice to just be quiet. And the moment I got the no out of my head, it's as if everything just made sense. Everything about life, everything about faith, everything about God, everything about Jesus, the apostles, it all, it's just all sort of lined up. And I feel like a light bulb has went off in my heart that just won't be turned off at this point. Isn't that cool? Many of you can probably relate to that story. There's just something about having to sometimes say no to the one who's saying no amen second thing in mark uh, further explains in verse 16 and 17 he says other seed is like seed sown in the rocky places they hear the word and they kind of receive it at first with joy but since they have no root it only lasts a short time and when trouble comes or persecution comes they quickly fall away People start challenging them on it. They did a study years ago about the Billy Graham Association. And what they did was this company would follow up a week, eight days later, eight days after the Billy Graham meeting where they all come forward and, uh, for salvation and, and receive Jesus and become Christians. He says they, they, they called eight days to see if they, if they still had that same profession of faith. Only 12% did. Interesting, huh? So they went to Billy Graham and they said, boy, it looks, they said it just like this. Looks like your seed is falling on a lot of rocky soil. You know, they get all stirred in the moment. They get all emotional that night. But a day or two later, there's been no change. There's no fruit. There's no crop. Billy Graham said, how many did you say? 12%. He said, oh. He said, you know, 12% of 30,000 is still 3,000 people. We're going to keep doing the crusades. Amen? 
Amen. Let's keep going. Number three, verse 18 and 19. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it feel unfruitful. So sometimes the enemy takes it, sometimes we have no root to keep it, and sometimes we choose to leave it. Because let's face it, there are a lot of things in this life to be afraid of. There are a lot of things that can cause anxiety. Am I going to have enough to eat? Am I going to find somebody to marry? Am I going to have a house to live in? Are people going to like me? Am I going to have friends? Am I going to res- be respected? I- am I going to be in pain? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to go? All of these things. I mean, if you just sat down and wrote it all out, you could worry for the rest of your life easily. Easily. And all that is is the thorny the thorny soil just choking the life of God out from us. It was about nine and a half years ago. I had come to Bakersfield about 10 years ago now. And uh, when I came, we only had two sections of the building. This section over here was undeveloped. It was just an empty warehouse. And, but these two sections were, were, were big enough. And we had the youth program, the kids program out there. And everything was in here. Some of you may remember, we actually had the coffee pot and the the coffee cart in the back over there. And it was always a huge traffic jam trying to get around. I mean, it was was pretty crammed. But then we had this. And we had a membership meeting. And I said, I believe I got a vision from God. I know I want to do with this section over here. I want to build a big youth center. I want to see kids coming and having fun and making friends and worshiping God and developing their relationship with Jesus. And there was you know, a lot of initial, you know, yeah, yeah. And we had the money at that time, and we, we were able to build it and all that. But I remember one, one particular gentleman came up and said, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Tom, this isn't a youth church. Look around. We don't have a lot of kids here. What you do have is a lot of seniors here. What I think you ought to do is take that, turn that into a senior center, and grow in that way he said i'm just telling you you know we seniors we really want this and if you don't do it i mean we're all big givers and we may go find some place that does i remember the we're all big givers part driving home and i remember thinking i just moved my family in a thousand miles south a town i don't really know anybody the church had just suffered a horrible split about 10 years ago over something I won't go into. And I remember thinking, I'm in a real precarious situation. I, t- I burned every bridge from Washington to come down here. And I stewed on that, stewed on that. Finally, I could feel the thorns choking. You can just feel the thorns choking until I began to pray about it. And once again, as I prayed about it, I just had this picture in my head of kids, the sound of kids, laughter running all through a place where we could build an amazing youth church. Oh my goodness, if you came here on a Wednesday night and seen how many kids are back there in the youth church, you'd be amazed. So I got back to him. And I said this, you do what you gotta do. But I feel like God's leading us to build it for the kids. You guys can go to Farmer Boys. You guys can go to Denny's. You guys can, there's, you guys can use the youth room. You guys can go in any other room 
But you know what? We're going to build a place that's theirs and that they know it's theirs because this is going to be a church that's raising up the next generation for Jesus. Amen? Nobody ever left. But the point was, I remember feeling the thorns beginning to choke me. Because if you think about it, you can allow the worry and the fear and anxiety to just take you and it'll lead you the rest of my life. Not about you, but I'm tired of living afraid. I want to live by faith, amen? The tough part of living by faith is it's not by sight. It's by faith. It's by heart, amen? Number four. Mark chapter 4, verse 20 says others like seed sown on good soil hear the word accept it and they produce a crop some 30 some 60 some 100 times over we receive it we grow with it and we are changed by it now notice this when you plant a seed it doesn't spring up into a crop all at once the next day you have to be patient god's gonna work on you he's gonna work on you but he's gonna do his work daily not in a day I remember I had a good friend of mine, he explained this to me, uh, how he saw spiritual growth. When he was in sixth grade, he was about five foot tall. When he was in 12th grade, he had grown to be like six foot two. He was a very tall kid. And and he said, uh, the interval that I would see my family in Ohio at one time was about, you know, maybe three, four, you know, years in between. He said, and I would always have that aunt who would come up to me and look and go, Oh my goodness, you have grown. You ever have that experience? Oh my, I never have that experience. But some of you, you may have had that experience in life where people looked at you and said, wow, look at you, you grew. He said, and you know what the interesting thing is? While I was growing to be six feet tall, I never knew it. I often had other people tell me, wow, look at you've grown. And I, I kind of go, I have? See, I'm me. I'm in my body. I I have this every day. And little by little, every day, I was growing. But someone who hadn't seen me in years would all of a sudden look and say, wow, you've grown. That's how it can be spiritually, too. You give your life to God today. And then I don't see you for four or five years, but you stick with him, and you're faithful. And when I meet you again, I'll go, wow. Man, God's doing great things in your life. It may not be perfect, but I see some areas you used to struggle with that you don't struggle with as much anymore. I see some things where you used to give power over to sin. You're not giving that power anymore. It's a lot like growing. It happens daily, not in a day. Amen? If you have your discussion guide, go ahead and take it out. You can flip it over real quick. We're almost done. These five points are going to go very quickly, but this is kind of my reaction to what Jesus has said. And if you want to fill this in, point number one is this. Only God can change the human heart. Only God can change the human heart. Jesus said that the seed is the word of God. It's the only thing that has the power to change the human heart. Preaching alone won't do it. I can tell you after 20 years, I cannot preach anybody into change. Only God can change people. Programs won't do it. The contemporary American church is up to its eyeballs in programs thinking that that will bring life change. No. I hear, you know, like you, I listen to a lot of podcasts, hear a lot of pastors, get a lot of stuff in the midweek just to kind of, you know, keep the juices flowing. And sometimes I'll run across a pastor that's preaching and they don't reference the word of God at all. And I think to myself, you know, they're robbing their congregation of the one thing we all desperately need. 
It's the power of God's word. It's like a portal into eternity. Those words do not come from this earth. And when you read it and consume it, it transforms us. Amen? Number two, God does not force himself on anybody. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The same seed that the birds eat is the same seed that produces the crop. Jesus told this story so that we won't be surprised. It won't take us, um, you know, catch us off guard when we are discouraged, when things don't go the way we expect them to go. No matter how hard you may want somebody to change, no matter how hard you may want somebody to come to God, no matter how hard you're waiting for that son or that daughter or that mom or dad or whatever to finally surrender, give up the ghost, and come to God. God will not force them to do that. The seed does not force the soil to produce crop. It is the soil that determines whether the seed will produce crop. I was meeting with a woman years ago. She came in because her husband had left her and wanted a divorce. And, uh, and I, I didn't have, you know, I talked with her a little bit. And I said, all right, well, let's pray. Let's get on our knees and pray. And as we were about to pray, she said, okay, pastor, I just, you know, let's pray that God forces my husband to come back to me. And then we got, you know, we got, and we, I was just about ready to go, and I'm on like a seven-second delay in my brain, you know. So you can say something, and if I don't react for seven seconds, that's because I got a seven-second de- delay on my brain. And so I'm just about to pray, and I go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what'd you just say? I said, no, I, sweetheart, that's not the way it works. God doesn't force spouses to come back as much as he would want to want them to god doesn't force somebody to do the right thing god doesn't force somebody to believe in him god doesn't force somebody to love god doesn't force the soil to be good when the seed happens god doesn't do that god doesn't force himself on anybody because if god forced himself to do that it would be a great paradox because the bible relieves that or the bible teaches that god is love Love doesn't use manipulation, coercion, or force. Doesn't have to. It shouldn't have to. Therefore, God doesn't force himself on anybody. Number three, but even though he doesn't force himself on anybody, he can put pressure. Number three, God is relentless in his pursuit of us. Notice this. There are four soils that, there are three of the four soils that failed to produce any fruit. Now, we live in a farming community and if you talk to a lot of farmers, it is so scientifically, they've got it all down. They do a planting. All they have to do is one planting, right? They've got their rows, very neat rows. But have you ever driven across like an orchard? Have you ever wondered how in the world do they get those so nice and straight? I mean, are they measured? I got to ask a farmer, is it measured? Is it, I mean, it's almost too perfect. Even from an airplane, you look down and go, man, that looks like a geometry problem. It's so straight. And they only have to, at the GPS, and they only plant once. They got the little, you know, you ever seen those little, anyway, that's how modern farmers do it. Ancient farmers, not at all like that. They'd go out and they threw the seed, like confetti. You know, they're throwing the seed. And they know some of the seed is going to go on the path. Some of the seed, oh, that's a little rocky soil over there. Some of the seed, there's, there's thorns and thistles underneath that. They know that some of that seed is going to hit some of that soil. So you know what happens? 
they go back and they do it again and again and again and again so that they can get the best crop that they can get because they know it wasn't an exact science just throwing it right it's like if you're trying to paint a painting and you're just throwing it you're like oh, i gotta get a little more red over there red 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 red, red blue over here you know and you and you keep throwing it ancient farmers would keep throwing it and what is jesus trying to say god will keep throwing seed on you to your dying breath because he wants to see that crop grow up in you and produce fruit what kind of fruit fruits like joy and peace patience goodness gentleness self-control and then finally uh, or no, i'm sorry Number four, only God knows the true condition of the heart. Only God knows. There have been people in this church where I've been like, oh my goodness, this person is going to be a rock star for Jesus. Oh my goodness. And I'll spend all this time, all this energy, I'll just pour my life and investment and everything and just say, this, 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 this guy, this gal is going to go far. And then I never see him again. Just one day they're just gone. And then there's been others where I'm like, oh my goodness. Jesus, 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 Jesus. What are we going to do with this yokel? You know? What are we going to do? I mean, this Ray Hammaker guy, God, <laughs> what are we going to do with Ray? You know? And all of a sudden, you see some of the most unlikely people rise up and produce amazing fruit. And I get the privilege of seeing Ray's fruit on Sundays when I go to Church Without Walls and the people know him. They trust him and respect him almost as much as Ben sometimes. And you get to see the amazing thing. And you know, it just reminds me, only God knows the true condition of that. Not that I ever judged you, Ray. I, I always, always knew you were awesome. And then number five, when God finds good soil, he cultivates it. When God finds good soil, he grows you. You become a better you. Not only do you become a better you, you become a more peaceful you. Why? Because you're no longer afraid to die because you know that the cross of Jesus got you covered in death. There was a man who used to go to our church. He's passed away. His name was Robbie Robinson. Remember Robbie? Yeah. Used to, used to sit in a wheelchair over here. And uh, I first met him when I came here, and he, and he literally said this to me. I'm not kidding. He said, Pastor, I don't believe in any of this. Uh, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. I'm just here because I want to be courteous to my wife. I'm going to support her in it. I said, you know what? That's fine. You're welcome to be here. And we became friends. I talked to him every week. And then, you know, he'd always go, oh, you almost got me. You almost got me. And, ah, you know, he'd always, he'd always jerk my chain and play with me, you know. But about five or six years ago, it was the last time I preached this passage. And when the sermon was done, 
I'm talking to everybody. I almost said I see a whole bunch of guys, and they're all praying for Robbie. And I'm like, what's going on over here? I thought maybe he had a heart attack or something. I mean, he was in a wheelchair. He wasn't in best of health. And uh, he just looked at me and said, oh, man, your message really caught me today. And I don't think he necessarily prayed to receive God then. But it happened sometime in the interval. And uh, when, he was con- uh, when he was on bed rest right before he passed away, I went and visited him by his bed. And I said, you know, Robbie, I said, there's one question I got to ask you. I said, you know, you're... You're in your 70s now. You heard the God. You told me you heard the gospel for the first time some 60 years ago. Why, how did it take you 60 years to come to faith? And he looked at me without missing a beat. He said, Pastor Tom, some soil just needs to be plowed a little bit more. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Most of you know I pride myself in having a good comeback. You know, I pride myself with having a witty answer to come back to that. And I went, oh. that was a great answer. I'm looking at Robbie like he just prophesied. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, I, I was just scratching my head like, thank you, Robbie. I'll never forget that. You know, it's just so good. Some soils just need to be plowed a little bit more. Maybe that's how you feel. You know what? I'm a, I may be a rocky soil but I'm willing to let God plow it. Let him plow it because I want that seed to take. I want that fruit to come. I want the soil to be good. Amen? Before we close today, I'd like all of us to just consider for a moment what are some areas where the soil has become a little rocky? What are some areas where the thorns have choked a little bit? What are some things where, oh man, since going back to high school, you've had some struggles and some things in your life that you're not proud of that you'd like to see God conquer in your life. You'd like to see the victory we sung about earlier. Right now, just if you can, just identify them in the quietness of your heart. And then in your mind, just say, God, I give this to you. The anger, the fear, the anxiety. My boss that doesn't appreciate me. My spouse that doesn't talk to me. My bank account that has nothing in it. The health report that seems like it has more things going wrong than right. God, I don't want the thorns to suck the life out of me. Not when I can choose to be good soil. To receive the seed of the word of God and begin to bear fruit. Fruit that not only benefits the kingdom of God, but fruit that benefits me. Find that right now and release that to Jesus. One more thing before we close. Some of you have never received the seed in good soil. Either you've let the enemy take it, you've let life choke it away, or you never gave it any root. But this morning, you almost feel like it's your morning. 
say, you know what? I want that seed to go in the good soil of my heart. I want to become a follower of Jesus. If you'd like to receive Jesus and become one of his followers this morning, just go ahead and raise your hand. Let me see it. Amen. 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 Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you permission. Plow me and plant a seed in my heart that produces fruit. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.